Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter number 25. The book of Proverbs chapter number 25. We are now on our downhill slide just having a few more Proverbs left. Again, we are done with our creation seminar, so we'll be filling in Sunday nights with some Proverbs, trying to get the last little bit we can in the three weeks we have left of the year, trying to squeeze in these little nuggets of knowledge, these great things of encouragement. And we now come to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 25. The book of Proverbs, chapter 25, and if you don't mind noticing with me in verse number 25, Proverbs 25 25. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And with this, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Proverbs 25 and verse 25, good news from a far country. Good news from a far country. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you'd give us mercy, that you could be a help to us now, that we could understand the principle that you have here, that we could understand the responsibility we have that we can understand what a big difference this good news can be to someone. Lord, I'm asking that you would give us help and mercy. Give me physical strength, mental strength, and spiritual strength today. Fill me with your precious spirit that you could get your own work accomplished. And we do love you. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible here in the book of Proverbs 25, 25 starts off with a word picture. It starts off with a word picture first and then gives the principle. Here's the word picture as cold waters to a thirsty soul. Now, remember that in the Bible here, this is going to be more of a desert arid uh, landscape. So if you can imagine crossing a desert, maybe you're going across the desert and you're thirsty. You know what sounds good when you're hot and thirsty? Cold water. Nice, refreshing cold water. It's something that it sounds good. It tastes good. That when you are in a hot day and you're dehydrated and you get some cold water, it could refresh you. It could revive you. It could even save your life. This cold water When you are hot and thirsty, it could do quite a bit, this water. So just as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Here, just as like water to a thirsty soul, just like that, 
having good news brought to someone can change their life. It could be refreshing. It could be reviving. And it could even save them. If you don't mind, I'd like to take two different Bible stories that give this illustration of good news coming from a far country and what they did to the recipients of that good news. The first one we want to find is all the way back in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, and let's begin just to hit a couple things to lead up to it. Genesis 42. In Genesis 42... We have the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob has not had a great life. That he had started off with his twin brother and there was issues. He was promised from birth to have a birthright, but he tried to take things in his own hands. He lied, manipulated. He, then he got lied and manipulated too. Uh, there was all kinds of issues going on. Jacob has not had a good life. His favorite son from his favorite wife has been killed in his eyes. Remember, it was reported that wild animals had killed Joseph. And he mourned for Joseph for years to the neglect of his own children. And now a famine has hit the land. And as the famine has hit the land, they ran out of food and they had to go get food from Egypt. And so as they went to Egypt, what happened is that... the. One of the brothers by the name of Simeon got arrested. And now he's held back. And the guy who's in charge of Egypt has told the entire family, don't come back unless you take the youngest child. And Jacob has been just tore up over this. Notice if you don't mind in Genesis 42 verse 36. Genesis 42 and verse 36. Notice Jacob here. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. And Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Notice this. He's so broken hearted. And then he got the news that in order to get more food, they have to take Benjamin. He, he's just losing it. He's losing child after child. Could you imagine the pain of a parent who's lost one child? Now another one's incarcerated and the third one is threatened to outlive your children, to see the children. He's just feeling the burden of it. Finally, it gets to the place where <laughs> they uh, have no other choice. Notice with me as we pick up the story, Genesis chapter 43. Genesis 43, and notice with me in verse 14. Genesis 43 in verse 14. He finally has to surrender. Genesis 43 and verse 14. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He's at this place where he now has to surrender. He has no other choice. I got to give up my children in order for us to survive. I got to trust God in this. And so he surrenders to God. God, you've got to take care of my kids. I'm, I'm just broken. I don't know what else to do. But in order to survive, I've got I've to trust you. And so he does. So during this time, he's feeling his failures. He's feeling his losses. His other children now go to Egypt. And remember, they don't have cell phones. They don't have emails. They don't have telegraphs. 
They don't have any communication. He has sent his kids to the unknown, to a different country in Egypt. And now he's left by himself wondering what is going to happen. Am I going to get any of my kids back? Are they all going to be arrested? Are they, any of them coming back? And he's thinking about his failures in his life. His lying, his cheating, his manipulating, and the consequences of all of these actions. He's thinking about all of this stuff. And all it's doing, by the way, if you're ever alone and you're depressed, it just gets worse. You get inside of your head, playing these things over and over. This is one of the worst times in his life. And he's all he could do is just hope that he looks on the horizon and hope that his kid comes back. It's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. That the father stood on the hill every day waiting for his son to come back. Just is this the day that he comes? Is this the day? What happened to my son? Is he ever going to come back? Can you imagine the pain of that father just wondering what if? Is he going to come back? Is he? Jacob's now in this. But not just with one son with all of his boys. One's dead, 11 are gone, one's already arrested, one's being threatened. What's going to happen? Am I losing them all? Is this it? Are they going to come back? Now remember, a trip to go get grain with a caravan and all that other stuff, who knows how long it took. It wasn't a day trip. He's waiting day after day, week after week, maybe even up to a month. What happened to them? No cell phones, no telephone calls, no radio signals. He's got in his head. He's feeling guilty. He feels the weight of his life. Wondering. Thinking about it. Pondering over it. Finally, after many sleepless nights and fear-haunted days, Jacob went on his usual lookout to look up on the hill. This time, something's different. There's someone coming around the hill. He's excited. Yes, someone's coming. But he doesn't know what news is going to be had. He's had Joseph's dead. Simeon's arrested. They want Benjamin to go with him. What's the news going to be like this time? Notice if you don't mind as the news is now delivered. Genesis 45. Genesis 45. And notice as thou now tell the good news. Now we know the story that Joseph's brothers went and Joseph revealed himself to them. And now they're all hugging and relating and the uh, Pharaoh has now told Joseph to go pick up your father. Go pick him, move him to Goshen. We want him to live here. Now, Jacob knows nothing of this. But they're coming back and they're going to go deliver good news. Notice as Joseph again has dealt with so much bad news and is expecting bad news. Notice the initial response. Notice with me Genesis 45 verse 26. Uh, verse 25, get a good start. And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father, and told him saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And notice this, and Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. They come back and say, guess what, dad? Joseph's alive and he's second in charge. You know how unbelievable that is? To be believing just a couple minutes ago your son is dead. And then being told he's second in charge of, of, Pharaoh, of um, Egypt. He's next to Pharaoh. His heart fainted. He was like, how could they be so mean to me? How could they joke about these things? It said that his heart fainted. Deep inside of his heart. Remember that's also a Bible phrase of dealing with the idea of soul. 
he quit. At that time, he just quit. It's just all over. It's unbelievable. Now they're, they're just being mean to me. He didn't believe what they said. After all these years of being bad news, after all these years of being depressed, being in himself, being self-centered about how he felt and not caring for the, you know, all these things are now coming there. And when he received the good news, he just fainted. He just quit. Start, how can you process this? But then notice verse 27. And they told him all the words of Joseph and what he had said to them. Notice this. He told them the words and the words didn't make an impact. Notice what did. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. You know what changed him? It wasn't necessarily the words as it was the evidence. Here are these wagons and they're not wagons from the promised land. They're wagons from Egypt that have come to take Jacob and his possessions and his people and the families of the 12 brothers to Egypt. In fact, 70 people are going to be traveling in these wagons with all their possessions to go see Joseph. Imagine this. You see, it was evidence that made the difference. But these good news from a far country, just like waters, cold waters to a thirsty soul, you know what it did? It revived him. It gave him new life. That's what that word revive means. It means to have life again. He now had life. More life than he had had this last couple weeks. More life than he had just a couple minutes ago when inside of his soul, he died. He, he was quitting. And now that there's evidence that this is true, he now was revived. You know what good news can do to someone? It could give them revival. It could give them new life. It could help them when they were about ready to give up to have life to go on and not just go on and bear another day, but to totally change their day. You know what happened? The rest of Jacob's life was exciting and thrilled. And he was more alive in these last several years than what he'd been for the last 40 The good news from a far country gave him a revival, gave him new life. And you know, people need good news like this. They need the good news of the Bible. You know what the word gospel means? In case you didn't know, the word gospel means good news. And when people have good news, not just the words, but the evidence that it's true. By the way, the evidence of a changed life is evidence that the Bible works, that biblical Christianity is true. The evidence of a changed life. When somebody sees what the gospel can do to change someone's life, it can give a revival. Even a Christian who's dark and crusty, when they come face to face with what Jesus Christ did with them, they can have revival. It could change them. It could bring them from being a hopeless, dusty, crusty, worthless Christian to someone who's on fire, full of life and just more alive than they've ever been before. Good news, just like cold waters to a thirsty soul. So was good news from a far country to have good news that Jesus saves, that Jesus works, that Jesus can change lives. Oh, it could do so much. It could bring not only refreshing, 
it could bring revival. He revived. When he saw the wagons, it says, which Joseph had seen him carry, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. It was the evidence of the good news. The evidence. It just wasn't words. It was evidence that this is true. It brought revival. How's your revival? You know, there's a lot to rejoice over. There's a lot to see what God is doing. And when we see the evidence of it, not just talk, but the evidence of it, it does something to give us revival and we can get more engaged. Good news from a far country. Good news turned Jacob into a new man. Real life, life again, revival. Notice if you don't mind another story. The book of Acts chapter 13. Not only can good news bring revival, but we know that good news can save. Good news can save. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we have the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. Now, when Paul's on his first missionary journey, this is really the first missionary journey of the church. They had people that had been scattered before and wherever they ended up at, they started churches because they assembled together. But the missionary journeys of Paul, especially in Acts chapter 13, was the first of its kind. To go out on purpose to go preach the gospel and start churches in other areas. This is a brand new endeavor. Things like this hadn't happened before. How is this going to work out? Is is people going to respond? This is the first time that the gospel is being spread to many of these areas. The first opportunity that these people had ever heard had to hear the gospel. Pick it up with me if you don't mind in Acts chapter 13 and verse 42. Now, as we're approaching there, let me catch you back up. Paul has now gone to the area of Pergia. And so this is a brand new place. Now, as Paul's custom, as he's now establishing, the very first thing he does is go to the synagogue. Why go to the synagogues? Because here are people who were familiar with God and the Old Testament scriptures. He's trying to bring them from the known to the unknown. And it's much easier to bring people who have somewhat of a knowledge and work with them. So he goes there because the scriptures are available. They have somewhat of a knowledge of God. And so Paul starts there and he preaches a message. And most of chapter 13 is containing the message that he preached. When he's done with the message, let's look at the fallout. Notice with me in chapter 13 and verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, meaning that, all right, church service is over. Let's go up. They closed up shop. As they closing up the synagogue for the day when the service is over, the Gentiles, not the Jewish people, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So again, us in the church age, this might not be a big deal, but for the first missionary journey, This is tremendous because Paul is now reaching a community and he's going for the Jewish people. But the message is starting to spread that the Gentiles who are not Jewish people, who are not invited to the synagogues, who are not invited to the Bible studies, have heard about it and they want to hear about it more. Hey, Mr. Paul, can we hear your message? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Can we come back next week and can we hear? Sure, let's do this. 
That's a good response, especially if you're a missionary showing up to someone. So he's preaching to the Jewish people and the Jewish people are like, yeah, it's great. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you come back next week. No big deal. I mean, that's always what a preacher wants to hear. Eh, that was the right message. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll come back. But the Gentiles were like, Mr. Paul, we want to hear this message. Can we hear? Can we hear? And let's meet back next week and I'll bring my friend and you bring your friend. You bring your friend. And so now this next week, the Gentiles are all talking about the message. And so when it comes time for the synagogue meeting, what happens? Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 43. Um, in fact, this is still the same day. All right. So they finished the church service, the synagogue service, 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, everyone at home, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who then speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So what happened after the church service, the Gentiles show up. Hey, Mr. Paul, can we come back next week? And can you tell us the message? Sure. No problem. Good. We'll go tell our friends. Now, as Paul and Barnabas are walking away from the synagogue service, a bunch of people are following them. And they're like, Mr. Paul, we still want to talk with you. Sure. And so Paul begins to preach to them kind of as they're walking on the street. Maybe they're going to Dairy Queen after the church service and they just want to talk to Paul more and they're getting excited about it and they're getting thrilled with it. So during this next week, the Gentiles are all telling their buddies and they're telling their buddies and they're telling their buddies. And now verse 43, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. That is a good church service. Everybody's talking about the message. Why? Because good news is refreshing. Good news is reviving. They heard the good news. We need to hear, you need to hear this. You need to hear this. Let's go see Apostle Paul. We need to hear this message. And they're looking for something and they're hungry for something. And they know they need something. And this guy seems to have an answer. And so they show up. Now, if you could imagine, we're not a big church. We could fit more than a lot of independent Baptist churches. But we would be overrun. Let's say that 300 people wanted to come here. Let's say that all of Seymour, 3,000 people, they all heard and they want to go hear the message. We would have a little bit problems accommodating them. That's a good problem to have. But do you think if you're a crusty old person who didn't like the message that that may not be a good problem to have? What are we going to do about parking? We got all these traffic people. And you got these crusty people. And then you got some jealous people. Well, I preach a message every Saturday, but nobody comes to hear me. I think there's some people like that. Yeah, there's some people upset. There's always going to be someone with a wet blanket. Man, there's people excited. The whole town comes. They want to hear this message. Notice what happens in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes... They were filled with envy. So if you can imagine the Jewish people come and like most church people, they have their spot and they try to go in and everybody's in their spot. You're in my spot. I didn't know it was your spot. I just came in, found a seat. You're in my spot. I don't see why we have to have all these people in here. They're just in the way. Church people do that from time to time. You're in my spot. Why do we need to have all these kids running around? It just... They're just all upset that people are coming and they're more and more upset. They're in my spot. They're in my way. They're in my parking spot. How dare they? And they're just finding things to be grumpy about. 
And they're just getting more and more grumpy. And then they start talking. Can you believe the apostle Paul bringing all these people? These Gentile people, they never wanted to come before, but it, Paul must not be preaching the right thing. It must just be something worldly. It must be something there. There's no way if they really wanted to hear the word of God, they would come to hear me preach. And they're all upset. Notice what they do. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with empty envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul. Listen, I know that Paul says anybody can get saved, but that's not really true. He's, you know, well, I know that Paul said that Jesus died for all people, but it all doesn't really mean all. And, and they're speaking against it as a result, contradicting and blaspheming. So they contradicted Paul's message. You think that's a little bit confusing to people who want to hear the truth? When someone says, hey, it doesn't really mean that. It doesn't mean the truth. And then they blaspheme. What do you mean blaspheme? Because this is God's message. Paul isn't preaching Paul's message. Paul is preaching God's message. And when the people are criticizing and going against Paul's message, they're going against God's message. And they're speaking against the works that God is doing. Jesus died for all men. Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. That is a true thing. And when they're counteracting everything Paul's saying, and Paul's telling them Jesus died for all people, he rose again the third day for salvation full, free, and forever, they're blaspheming. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it is was necessary that the word of God shall first be spoken to you, speaking of the Jewish people, but seeing that you put it from you, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. <laughs> Basically, you don't want to hear the message? We don't have to preach the message to you. There's plenty of people right here that want to hear it. We don't have to deal with you. There was a decision made. They didn't like the big crowds. They didn't like Paul's message. They didn't like people getting in the way. You know, there are some churches that say it's us four and no more. We don't want this soul winning thing. We don't want strangers to come. We like our group. Okay, fine. Help yourself. We want to go to where people want to hear the message. So as they blaspheme, as they went against it, the decisions made. Jews didn't want the gospel, so the Gentiles did. So let's preach to the Gentiles. By the way, this is the first missionary journey. This is a big deal. This is the first time that this had happened. That they preached to the Jews. Jews were accepting it until they saw the big crowd. Now they're all turning away from it. What is happening is that Paul is now being made clear. He has a mentile, uh, a ministry to the Gentiles. Before then, he was glad to preach to anyone, but he was going to stay mostly with the Jewish people because they made a decision. It is now made clear he is going to hit to the Gentiles. Why? Because they want the good news. The good news is refreshing to them. The good news is reviving to them. The good news is what's saving them. And he wants to preach to the people who want to hear the good news, who want to hear the message. Notice as it goes on, verse 47 for lo, hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now remember, 
Paul is, tries to be biblical in everything he does. So what he does is he opens his Bible and turns to Isaiah chapter number 49 verse 6 and says, the Bible says that Christ was to be a, a light to the Gentiles. So we have a biblical basis. Let's go to the Gentiles. This is what Christ said. We're going to obey. So what he's doing is he's having a biblically defensive uh, defi uh, position. He is not saying, well, because you guys are being mean to me, I'm going to wipe you off. He says, no, I could see that this is God turning into it. The Bible says that God wants to reach Gentiles. So we're going to follow the Bible and we're going to reach Gentiles with the light of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't, well, fine, I'll be that way. He says, I can see that God is leading us to go to the people who want to hear it. You guys don't want to hear it? That's fine. We're going to go to those that want to hear it. Notice in verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, heard what? Heard the promise of Isaiah, that God in the Old Testament wanted to reach the Gentiles. This isn't a New Testament doctrine. This has always been God's plan. When they heard it, they were glad. Notice this, and glorified the word of the Lord. Now, normally you would think that they glorified God. But these Gentiles understood that the Bible was for them. Not just for the Jewish people, but the Bible had a message even in the Old Testament for them and that God had wanted to reach them. And when they understood that this was good news and they could have it for themselves, they were glorifying God and glorifying the word of God that I have good news. I have something for my own soul. I have a refreshing. I have something like cold waters. I have good news that I could read that God loves me and he has promises for me and he's got plans for me. This is great. That good news, it's refreshing. Good news, it brings a revival. Good news, it brings salvation. And they're glorifying the word of God. And as many were ordained to eternal life, believed. Meaning that there's a bunch of people that got saved that day. Why? Because they saw that the Bible was true. They saw it for themselves. It wasn't just a word of a preacher. They had the word of God that said that God wanted them to be reached. That God wanted them to have. And they had good news from a far country. So the Gentiles had it. Oh, praise the Lord. You know what people need is they need good news. They need good news. And with this good news, we have the evidence of a changed life. <laughs> with this good news, we find it in God's word. And when people realize that God's got a lot of good stuff for us, we can have revival. When do we have revival as Christians? When we turn back to the Bible, when we have a revolution back to the Bible and realize that God's word is for us and it has so much for us. When does God's, when do we have refreshing? When we realize, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. When we realize that we need good drinks of God's water that washes us with his word. When do we get salvation in our life change? When the word of God becomes real to us and we see God's promises to us. People need the good news. Everybody needs good news. Whether we're saved, you need good news. Whether someone who's not saved, they need good news. And when they get a hold of this good news and they drink it for themselves, it is refreshing. 
We need to do what we can to make sure the good news is getting out to people. Whether it's through tracks that are telling people about the word of God or supporting missionaries around the world so others can hear the word of God or taking time to read it for ourselves, We need this good news that comes. And with this good news, there comes refreshing. With this good news comes revival. With this good news comes salvation for all who believe in God's promises, God's word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.